Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Yeah, we're in this series called The Greatest, and one of the focuses, one of the takeaways of this series, we hope will be an increased sense of of being compelled to serve in the church. I want to introduce you to two people who serve in the church, real life people who serve. We've got here Lauren and Abby. Everyone give them a warm welcome, please. Both have grown up in the church and both as young women are serving in the church on a regular basis. They're teaching kids about Jesus. And, and I love that they have that passion to be involved. And I'm sure if I gave them the microphone, I'm not going to do that by the way. If I gave them the microphone, because it's my sermon time, you know, I got to keep things in mind. If I gave them the mic though, they would tell you just how blessed they are. How much joy they have. How much fulfillment they are receiving through serving in the church. So look, first of all, I want you to see the examples. Let's follow in the example of them and others. Look, you could be an usher. You could serve in in the cafe. You could serve in kids. There's lots of ways. You're going to find out in a couple weeks how you can serve in the church. We're so proud of you. We're so grateful for you. I want to pray a prayer blessing on them. And I want to pray for servants in the church. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for um, your church that we get to be a part of, your family. And God, as we consider the family, we know there's many places and ways that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus and serve in the church. I thank you for Lauren's example in that way. I thank you for Abby's example. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would give them strength, that you give them wisdom, that you would give them endurance as they serve particularly the kids of the church and they would share Jesus with them. God, we pray that others would join them in serving in that way and serving in the church in general. I ask that this series would stir us up to a place where we say, we've got to get in the game. We've got to be a part of this work because Jesus, the greatest, has set this example for us. Bless these two young women, God. Use us as a congregation in this way. We ask all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. One more time, give it up for Lauren and Abby. Okay, so, you know, you saw some famous faces there, the the goats. Let me introduce you to a goat that I'm guessing you probably don't know. His name is Joss Naylor. Joss Naylor. So, Joss Naylor is what is known as a a fell runner. This is a a British sport primarily, although it's it's celebrated in other parts of the world. And and in the English vernacular, our, our friends in Britain, a fell is a hill or a mountain. So basically, Joss Naylor was and is a mountain runner, a hill runner. In fell running, what participants do is they run up and down a series of mountains. This is extreme endurance. Doesn't sound like any fun to me, by the way. But that's what these people do. So listen to what Joss Naylor did. He is truly the goat of, of fell running. Joss Naylor once conquered 72 peaks. 72 up and down in one day, 24 hours. That's crazy, 72. And at one point, he ran up 214 peaks 
In one week's time, this was hundreds of miles, in one week, this guy did this. And he was 50 years old at the time. Imagine this. He, he fits in training uh, in between his times of, of being a sheep farmer. So he tends the sheep, and then he does this fell running. And he's still going. He was still going at age 70. He was still going at age 80. There he is. How about that picture? And I love this quote. They were talking and asking him, of course, like, hey, how do you do it? What's the secret to your success? And, you know, what do you eat? And he said, well, my diet includes, this is a direct quote, sweet rubbish. I think in our American language, that's like candy and stuff. Sweet rubbish, macaroni pudding, something called trifle. Let's ask John, guess what that is? Trifle, weak tea, and most importantly, a few cans of stout at night. That's the man's diet. Take it or leave it, okay? So this guy's amazing, a fell runner. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around what he, what he does and what he's done. He's the goat of that. And I think there's something for us to learn if you consider this guy who runs series of mountains for sport. I think there's something to be learned from him, the fell runner. And no, Gideon, I'm not talking about his diet. We don't want to imitate his diet. What we want to imitate is this, this mindset, this attitude that it takes to be a person who climbs mountains. Of course, in Pittsburgh, that's important because we have lots of mountains around here. That might actually come in physically to be handy for you. But more than that, there are figurative mountains, aren't there? There are figurative mountains that are in front of you and they're in front of me. And what I think we could take from this man is how do we run the figurative mountains that are standing right in front of you? And you know you've got them. In fact, as I say it, there are some things that crop up in your mind. Figurative mountains, what are they? We can look at this guy and we can consider how do we take this on. Not only that, we have to put this in the context of Jesus, who is the goat. If you didn't catch last week's sermon, I encourage you to go on YouTube and, and check that out. Jesus is the undisputed greatest of all time. There's no argument. There's no debating. He is the goat. And here's what Jesus did. You talk about mountain climbing. Jesus took up the cross, literally. Jesus climbed the hill at Calvary, literally. And there, this mountain climber, this mountain runner, Jesus... He defeated for all time sin, death, the enemy, the devil, conquered, defeated, vanquished by the one who climbed the mountain, by the one who, who took up the cross for you and me. It all is in the context of Jesus. And Jesus, this one who took up the cross, this one who climbs the mountain, he calls all of us to come and follow him. So here's, here's a question I would begin with. Do you desire to follow Jesus? I'm talking to both people who would say they believe in Jesus and people who say, yeah, I'm not into Jesus. I'm asking, do you, do you have any desire to follow in his ways? Is there anything compelling to you about Jesus? Do you really, truly desire to follow him? Do you desire to see your life transformed, changed, to be a different person, renewed by the power of God? Well, look, that requires following Jesus. We're going to talk more about this this morning. Jesus is calling us to pick up the cross. And like Joss Naylor, take up the mountain. 
The mountain that he's already accomplished. The mountain he's already climbed. And as you take up this, this call to follow the greatest, I want to give you four attitudes that we need to cultivate in our lives. That we need to adopt in our lives. These are going to come straight from the scriptures. So, if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got the Bible app, you can hold that in front of you. We encourage you to take notes, of course. Be students of the Word. The Word's will also be on the screens. We got that set up for you too. Let's pick up today in 1 Peter. 1 Peter in the New Testament all the way towards the back. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1. Let's go to this text. Let's see about these four attitudes. How can we be hill climbers? How can we be mountain runners like Jesus the goat? Let's see what we got here. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human, evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. It's quite a list. It's a strong list. Listen, um, the first attitude is this. And I want to talk about this for, for a few minutes. The first attitude is a militant attitude towards sin. A militant attitude towards sin. Let's talk about this. I'll show you this first. This is an unpopular opinion on my part. I know it is. You know, daylight savings time, right? It's about to come to an end. I know a lot of you love having the sunshine. It's light till nine o'clock in the summertime. You're out playing bocce in your backyard, all that stuff. Well, my daughter Lucy and I, we can't stand daylight savings time. We cannot wait until it's dark at 5.30 at night. We're looking forward to it. November 7th, by the way, it'll be dark at 5.30. We'll be really happy when we look out our window at dinner time and see all that. I know we're strange. I know it's unpopular, but I just said it and that's what I like. We like when it gets dark early. Now, the truth of the matter is, we all, in a certain way, are drawn to darkness. No matter who you are, whether you're someone, again, who's been following Jesus for a long time, you've been raised in the church, or if you're brand new and you don't even believe in God or trust in Jesus, there's this thing in the human heart where we like the darkness. We're drawn to the darkness. You know that list of sins that feels almost embarrassing to read out loud? That's what we're drawn to, ultimately. That's the human condition. We're drawn to the darkness. And, and here's the thing. It doesn't get, take too long to get used to the darkness, does it? doesn't take long to get used to even the physical darkness, certainly not spiritual darkness. It doesn't take long to get accustomed to sin. And here's how it often happens. It happens really gradually without even thinking of it. I'm talking to you. The scripture's talking to us. We have to talk about sin. If we're talking about following Jesus and taking up the cross, there's this mountain that's in front of us. And a big part of the charging the mountain is I think this attitude of, of, of being militant towards sin. You know, the scripture says something really interesting here. It says, do not, this is in verse two. Do not live the rest of, I'm going to use your, the word your. Do not live the rest of your earthly life for human, evil human desires. 
Don't live your life. Whether you follow Jesus today, or if you're sitting here listening to me saying, what's this all about? Listen, there is a way to not live the rest of your life chasing after evil human desires. Which, by the way, might feel good in the moment, but ultimately lead to a dead end, don't they? Sin sometimes is sweet in the moment. But here's the thing that we all know. It's crippling. It's debilitating. It's death in the end. Fall out the path. And so we have to be militant about taking on sin. That has to be our attitude. And this mindset that we're talking about, this attitude, it all begins with thinking about what sin did to Jesus. I mean, look at verse 1. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered. Let's just stop here for a moment. And let's think about what sin did to Jesus. I'll actually refer to Peter. First Peter. If we go just a couple pages back. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. Says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. He suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. Christ suffered for you. Why do we need to consider what, what sin did to Jesus? Well, understand that he suffered for our sin in his body. Or look at 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, he was the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. How can I enjoy sin? How can I take pleasure in sin, knowing that it took Jesus to the cross, that it demanded the, the, the life of Jesus? How can we do that? How can we sin? And enjoy it when we know that it caused Jesus to suffer and die. Look, this militant attitude I'm talking about, it all starts with Jesus. I want to make this clear. I'm looking at some young adults, young people over here. Listen, you cannot deal with sin in your own power. You will fail. I want you to hear that. And any adults here should be saying amen. You cannot deal with sin on your own. It will get the best of you. It's only in Jesus. It begins with Jesus Christ. How are you going to be militant? Well, I'll tell you what. God, through his mercy and his love and his grace, has dropped the bomb. He got militant with sin, and he dropped the bomb on sin through Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, he conquered, yes, sin and death and the powers of evil through his body. And so it's by grace. It's through faith. Do you hear me? It's by grace, it's through faith that we get militant with sin. I do not want to set you up to go and try to do this in your own strength. You will fail. It's only through Jesus. And yeah, our goal is to cease from sinning. But we will never ever accomplish that on our own. There's no way. It's a lifelong battle. It's a hill we have to continually charge like we're Joss Naylor. 
And it only happens by his grace through his power. But you need to get militant. We need to get militant with sin. This is a part of following Jesus. It's part of the attitude. And, and I'll just point this out to you also. The scripture here says this. That yes, they do not live their, the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires. Rather, they live the rest of their earthly lives. Those who follow Christ. For the will of God. For the will of God. We are to delight. You'll find joy. And the will of God. I was just talking to a brother out in the commons this morning. And I said, how you doing, man? He goes, I'm better since I'm here. I said, how's the weekend been? He said, this is going to be the best part of it. And you know why? He's finding joy in the family of God. He's finding joy and happiness and being a part of the will of God. It's better than any kind of sin you could have. You find joy in the will of God. Not only that, if you go to verse 3, he says, you've spent enough time sinning in the past. I love that general statement, right? No matter if you've sinned a whole bunch or if you think you've sinned just a little bit, by the way, you haven't. No matter what, you've sinned plenty up to this point, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are. Do you hear this? And so it's time to drop the napalm on sin and get militant with it. You start with Jesus. It's the only way to work is if you start with Jesus Christ. Let's get militant with sin. Are you with me on this? This is the attitude that we are to have. This is the way we are to take on life. It's like Joss Naylor running up a hill. And I love his example. I love this guy who, who's militant in his, his pursuit of, of charging the mountains and running the hills. It's like this guy, a lifelong attitude for us. Let's go back to the text. Okay, so the first attitude is we get militant with sin. And it all begins with Jesus. It all hangs on him. Then in verse 4, it's talking about the people who live in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. Uncomfortable to say out loud, but this is the, the human way. And it says they, the people who practice such things, which is by the way, you and I ultimately, we're the sinful ones. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached. Even to those who are now dead. In other words, the, the gospel was preached to them while they were living. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. But live according to God in regarding the spirit. So now we're talking about our second attitude here. And our second attitude is this. Patience. A patient attitude toward people who don't know Jesus. I think this is important too. Listen, how do you read these verses? I mean, I just read these verses and they're talking about judgment. They're talking about, you know, us and them and, and all these kinds. How do you read those verses? Do, do you do that with a, a vengeful attitude? Like, yeah, God, get them. Sick them, God. Let them get what's coming to them. Do you read them with a vengeful attitude or do you read them with an attitude of compassion? Well, listen, I think you know the answer. We should read those verses with compassion as if they apply to us because they do apply to us. Remember who you were before you met Jesus. Do you remember who you were before you met Jesus? What you needed was compassion. You needed compassion from God and you certainly need compassion from the people who follow God. Look, those who do not know Jesus are blind to, to spiritual truth. They, they can't see it. 
mean, look at what 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 says. This, I think, puts it in perspective for us. And even if our gospel, the good news about Jesus, who's paid for sins, even if our gospel is veiled, if it's covered up, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, small g, the small g God of this age, the idols of this age, has blinded the minds of people who don't believe, unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I once was blind, but now I see. Do you see? We need to be patient with people who are lost. Listen, those who follow Christ, you need to hear this. We live in divisive times, do we not? Very, very divisive. We live in the age of social media where you can all let your opinions be known. Let it fly, right? And it's so easy to get baited into debates and arguments. I get it. It's really easy to get into that. But listen, we have a higher goal in mind for humanity. You should have a higher ideal in mind for your Facebook friends and the people you really know also. And so even if you don't agree with their lifestyle, even if you don't join them in sinning, we are called to be patient with those who don't know Christ. And, and as the text points out, they may judge you. You know, it says they, they are surprised you don't join them in their reckless, wild living. They heap abuse on you. Even if they judge you, even if they call you names, even if they deride you for being someone who follows Jesus, instead of arguing, pray for them. Instead of debating, share the hope of Jesus with them. This is what we're called to do. A part of following Jesus, a part of being in him, taking up the cross, is this thing that sometimes we have to suffer in certain ways for the cause of Christ. It may cause you to hold your tongue instead of judging, instead of, instead of fighting, instead of debating, to pray. So the second attitude is this. It's a patient attitude towards those who don't know Jesus. It follows the first attitude, which is a militant attitude on our own part with our own sin. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Let's go back to the text, looking at verse 7. I think verse 7 clarifies why this is important. Verse 7 says this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. The end of all things is near. Here's the third attitude. Attitude three is this. It's an expectant attitude toward Jesus. An expectant attitude, perspective towards Christ and what's happening in the world. I want to make this clear to you. We will see Jesus one day. We're going to see Jesus face to face. You will stand before him. And you may say, I don't believe. All. Listen, it, it's true. We believe the scriptures are true. The prophecies about his first coming are fulfilled. And we believe the prophecies of his second coming will also be fulfilled soon. You will stand before Jesus. You, you will have to, to, to give an account. Here's what we do. We live in expectancy. 
We're waiting. We're expecting his return. And how we will live and serve today will determine how those of us who trust in Christ first will be rewarded on that day when we stand before him. We live in expectancy of this. Again, I take you to 2 Peter. This will help clarify some things. 2 Peter this time, verse, uh, chapter 3. I'm going to read you a few verses here. We're talking about living expectantly. We're talking about charging this mountain, following the greatest, Jesus Christ. Listen to what 2 Peter 3 says. It says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. The promise being that he's going to come back. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead, he is patient with you. Do you hear that? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're talking about having an attitude, an expectant attitude towards Christ. And these attitudes we've been talking about are connected. You can see it reflected there. You know, Peter says, live godly and holy lives. It's that militant attitude towards sin. Paul said, Peter says this, he says, everyone, God desires that everyone would come to repentance. It's this idea of being patient with those who are lost. We live with an expectant attitude that Christ will return. And how's this hope expressed? The scripture's really clear. It says this, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. There's your action step. The way that you live expectantly is you pray. Look, there's lots to pray for in the world. We need to pray for what's happening in Afghanistan, don't we? We need to pray about the natural disaster that today is looking like it's going to hit New Orleans. There are many other needs in the world that we need to be praying about. Look, not only that, we need to pray for those who don't know Christ. It's part of that patient attitude. What do we do? We pray. We don't debate. We don't argue. We're going to pray. We're going to share the gospel. We need to pray for our own strength. That we would battle through Jesus, through his power, through the Holy Spirit living in us against sin. We have Wednesday night prayer, by the way. We would love for you to join us. It's a great time. Attitude three is we live with an expectant attitude that God is going to show up. That Jesus will return. That he'll intervene in our circumstances. That we will meet him in this place. Attitude two is we have a patient attitude towards those who don't know Jesus. And attitude one is we have a militant attitude towards sin in our own lives. Let's go to verses eight through ten. Above all, above all, I love that. Above everything else, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know, all of these attitudes we're talking about. The attitude of being militant with the sin and patient with those who don't know Jesus and living expectantly. It's all kind of added up in this, this last one. It's an attitude of being passionate about the family of God. It's a passionate attitude towards the family of God. Now this time, I am talking to those specifically who follow Jesus. If you are looking toward the return of Jesus, if you're awaiting that time, in light of that truth, we have to love one another. There's urgency in this. Jesus is going to return. We need to love one another. Not only that, we need to be united in heart. One soul, right? Remember we talked about this? One soul, one mind. And there needs to be a sense of urgency. We can't wait. We can't delay. We can't figure it out later. And what does it look like? It's spelled out for us here. It says this, love each other deeply. Love covers over a multitude of sins. We're talking about forgiveness here. If you have an issue with someone in this church specifically, if there's an issue in your family, if there's an issue in your workplace, here's what I encourage you to do. Go make it right. Practice forgiveness. Love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe in this moment right now, the Lord is reminding you of someone that you need to practice this with. There's someone you need to go and say, you know, what happened between us is really bothering me. And I want you to know that, that I want to seek your forgiveness, or I need you to forgive me. Or I want you to know that I forgive you. There needs to be a matter of forgiveness. What does it look like practically speaking? It looks like forgiving. Love covers a multitude of sin. Not only that, this love, this attitude that's passionate towards the family of God, it also looks like hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Look, get together. Welcome one another with the welcome that Jesus has welcomed you with. Welcome each other in your homes. Take someone out to lunch or coffee. Go on a walk together. Practice hospitality, welcoming each other, community with one another. And not only that, I love this, and this is important to us. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Look, the practical nature of the attitude of being passionate about the family of God looks like forgiveness it looks like hospitality, and it looks like serving. These are action steps for today. And by the way, serving, we're going to have a ministry expo starting next week for two weeks. Every single person can find their place to serve in the church. I would love to hear, we just had an overwhelming number of people signed up for all the various ministries. You've got a gift that says this, each of you should use whatever gift you've received. Not some of you, not a few of you. It says, underline it everyone, each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have. That's the way the church works. That's how we have this attitude of being passionate towards the family of God. So those are your action steps. Pick two. One is serving. We know that. Everyone's got to serve. Just like Lauren is serving. And then maybe there's a matter of forgiveness you need to deal with. Maybe there's a, a, a matter of hospitality that you need to tend to. I put that in front of you. Four attitudes. To have an, an attitude of passion towards the church. To have an attitude of expectancy about Jesus. To have an attitude of patience with those who don't know Jesus. But to also have a militant attitude in your own heart and mind. 
dealing with sin through the power of Jesus. I'll tell you someone who has an attitude, right, is this guy, Joss Naylor. Let me tell you some of the things I learned about him. This is unbelievable. You're, some of you are going to think I'm lying. I didn't make this up. I read this in multiple places. Listen to this guy. He once finished a race with two broken feet. How do you do that? I don't know. Two broken feet, he finished a race. Uh, this is my favorite one. One other time in a race, he finished and all 10 of his toenails fell off. That sounds miserable. I'd be done with this racing. And still another time, his shoes were like poorly fit. This is back in the old days. His shoes fit so poorly that they rubbed his ankles and his ligaments were showing when he finished the race. If you're thinking, oh, this guy was just so talented, that's why he could run these races. Actually, it was about grit. The man had grit. You know what makes him, a spe- you know what makes him the goat of fell running? which I didn't even know existed. The thing that makes him the goat is he never gave up. He's the kind of guy that runs when his toenails fall off. And you know what? There's something in a lesson there for us. Some of you coming in here, they bloodied. It's like you've got ligaments showing. You're exposed. You're bloodied. You're hobbled. Listen, there's a message here for you. There's a, ma- there's a matter of grit, willingness to say, Lord, help me to run this race. Lord, help me to climb the next mountain that's in front of me. I can't do it. I need you, God. Here's what was written about this Joss Naylor. One more thing on him. This this blew my mind. This was a quote where someone was talking about him. They said, Joss Naylor chose to pit himself heroically against the mountains, not just because they were there, but because his heart was there too. In other words, there was something in the mountain for Joss Naylor. There was something in that experience. I want to tell you this. There's something in the mountain for you. You got mountains in front of you? There's something in the mountain for you. Look, there's something in being militant about fighting in sin where you will find God. You will know him. You will meet Jesus in the midst of that if you'll take up that fight. You can only do it by his grace. There's sin to overcome. There's greater love. There's greater love for you to experience through the power of God. There's forgiveness. There's serving. There's a mountain in front of you. All of this is done in the hope of Jesus. I'll point you to verse 11. Verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 4. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. It's all for God's glory. We charge the mountain. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. The way I want to land this and and finish this up is this with a time of prayer. We mentioned several things that we could pray about, including our own lives, including what's happening in the world, including people who don't know Jesus. So I want to invite you right now to enter into a time of prayer. And I want to give you an opportunity in your own heart and your mind, whether you're worshiping online or in this room with us, where you can talk to God. All of this expectancy leads us to God. We're to be a people of prayer. Let's do it. Let's not just talk about it. Oh God, we come before you. 
We thank you, Lord, for your love through Jesus. God, you dropped the bomb on sin through Jesus. You got militant. We thank you, God, that you've done what we never could do. You paid the price for sin. You brought us back to your side and you did it through Jesus. We praise you in his name. In our hearts right now. And guys, we think about having an attitude of expectancy. Oh, there's so much happening in the world. That makes us look out and say, when will you come again, Lord? When will you make all things right? I mean, just this past week, in the past weeks, we see what's unfolding in Afghanistan. We hear about war. We hear of rumors of war. God, we cry out to you. Oh Lord, bring peace. The peace that only you can bring. We await the return of Jesus. God, we pray for those who are suffering. American lives lost in this very week. Oh God, would you comfort those who are mourning? Would our nation turn to you and look to you? As we find ourselves in a place where we don't know what to do. Your God, we live expectantly. We pray also, Lord, for those who do not know Jesus. Lord, forgive us for having judgmental, vengeful attitudes. Pray rather, Lord, we'd be like you. We'd be patient. That we would desire for all to come to know you. And even right now, there are some names that come to mind. The names of brothers and sisters, friends, sons, daughters. We lift their names to you, oh God. Please draw them with your mercy and your grace, just as you've drawn us. And God, we pray for our own strength to take on the mountain, Lord, the mountain that we can't climb on our own, to help us to forgive, to teach us to welcome others. Lord, show us how we can serve. Show us how we can be functioning, fully invested members of your family. Thank you for the goat, Jesus Christ, who took up the cross and climbed the mountain. He's the ultimate mountain runner, cross of Calvary. Thank you for him, who's done what we could never, ever do. I pray, Lord, that every person will be compelled by his love. They'd consider that our sin caused him to suffer. But he took it on joyfully and gladly for the sake of his Father's glory. Oh, may you trust in Jesus. God, strengthen us that we might believe and trust fully in him. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.